Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey folks, before we get going, just a quick reminder about the Other People app. This podcast has its own official app. It's the Other People app. It's the best way to listen to this program. You get the most recent 50 episodes for free. That's how the app works. The app is free. You get the app on your device. It's free. And then you get the most recent 50 episodes for free. New episodes automatically upload to the app. You don't have to do anything. They just appear there as if by magic. You can download episodes to listen to while you're offline. If you're in transit, if you don't have Wi-Fi, it's very user-friendly. So you get the app. The app is free. You get the most recent 50 episodes free. And then if you want to access everything, if you want to get at the full archives, if you want to stream almost 400 episodes and counting and hear my conversations with literally hundreds of great writers, including Hilton Owls, Leslie Jameson, Sheila Hetty, Roxanne Gay, Jonathan Lethem, Blake Butler, Ben Marcus, Susan Orley, and Colin McCann, George Saunders, and Edwidge Dantica, just to get started. That's just the beginning. That's just the tip of the iceberg. If you want to hear those conversations, you can sign up for an Other People premium subscription right there within the app. It's as cheap as 75 cents a month. It's a great way to support the show. That gives you access to everything. Does that make sense? You get the Other People app. The app is free. You get the most recent 50 episodes for free. And then if you want access to everything, you just sign up for a premium subscription for as little as 75 cents a month, and you get access to almost 400 episodes available at your fingertips whenever you want, wherever you go. Does that sound good? That's the Other People app. Okay, let's get started with the show. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Gee, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it's like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listy. Just one person at just one time. All right, guys, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is you and a listening device. This is me and a speaking device. How's it going? I'm Brad Listy. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm sitting here in Los Angeles. My posture, uh, mediocre. Slouching a little bit. My guest today is Katie DiCibato. She's not mediocre. She's exemplary. Her debut novel, The Ghost Network, is available now from Melville House. Katie uh, was just over here not too long ago. She came over. She sat down. Her posture uh, was perfect. She talked to me. I recorded it with her full knowledge and consent. I'm going to be playing that for you in, mo- uh, in just a moment. Today's episode is brought to you by Litbreaker. Litbreaker is an online advertising network servicing the culture web. Do you want to reach nerds? Do you want to reach people who like movies, music, books, photography, art? 
those people, do you want to reach them online? Go to litbreaker.com and learn how you can advertise on a bunch of great culture sites all at once. Sites like the Paris Review, the Nervous Breakdown, the Rumpus, Large Hearted Boy, Full Stop, the list goes on. Litbreaker.com. So I've been thinking today about uh, happy people. This morning, I'm outside, I'm in my neighborhood, I'm walking around, I see one of my neighbors, this woman, just one of these people who's just manically crazy happy all the time. Every time I've ever seen her, crazy happy. Happy to the point where you wonder, like, what what is happening here, chemically? Am I missing something? What's up with those people? Like, I'm, 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 I'm such a cynic, I'm thinking that there must be something, you know, is this a... Uh, is she angry? She's repressed angry. Underneath all that like happiness, she is uh, filled with rage and could snap at any moment. Or is the happiness genuine and am I just uh, jealous? But she sees me this morning and before I can even get a word out, she does like a karate kick. Smiling. Very enthusiastically. People who do karate kicks when they say hello to you. Those kinds of people. Just trying to process that. I don't have that. I can't generate that. I worry sometimes about my inability to generate the kind of enthusiasm that I think you might need to flourish on planet Earth. Is it something that you can just generate or is it something that you have to be able to do chemically? I I can't do it. I can't get excited about anything at that level. And this woman just sees me in the morning and is, uh, you know, doing the crane technique. I'm capable of like a a mild enthusiasm as a human being. I'm capable of uh, experiencing happiness and joy. Just like, you know, relax a little bit. I can't go, I can't be operating at 11 like that all the time with everything cranked up. Some people can. I wonder why. What is that? Is it real? I guess so. Just like a very fortunate neurochemistry happening. Have I talked about this before? Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. My guest once again is Katie Disabato. Her debut novel is called The Ghost Network. It's out there now from Melville House. Uh, she is uh, just a delight. I had such a good time talking with her, and I'm very pleased to get a chance to share this with you now. This is Katie Disabato. You are in high school. You're thinking you're going to write a book. Mm-hmm. 
You're a good student except for physics. Yeah. You're the eldest of three. Stable Midwestern house. Yeah, pretty anything, much. Did anything bad happen to you when you were a kid? You had a pretty good, you had a pretty good run as a yeah, kid. Yeah. I mean, like, nothing external super bad happened. I mean, there was, it was the suburbs. There was, you know, darkness and there was, you know, bullshit, but... What kind of darkness? What kind of bullshit? Um, I mean, you know, there was, there was a, this was actually kind of right after I left. There was some, there was this, a uh, couple of, a couple of people I went to high school with that I actually had a really antagonistic relationship with. Cause I was a kid that got teased a lot. For what? Um, oh, everything. I mean, for the way that I walked because I'm a loud walker. That was, that started in the third Wait, grade. Wait, what do you mean you're a loud walker? I'm a loud walker. I have a loud walk. I just, I like walk with my heels or something <laughs> and I wear a lot of like heavy shoes. You, and wear, so I, you wore wooden shoes to school. I, I actually wore these, not wooden shoes, but you know, you get a shoe with a heel. I wore a clog with a heel and it would, it would make a really loud noise and people would make fun of it. I mean, everything. You okay. can make fun of any, somebody for anything. You got bullied? Well, yes, but it was more like I got I got teased a lot because I reacted emotionally, and part of that was like being really upset by it, but part of it was just angry, just just trying to hit back. But it, you know, your hits don't land as well if you're coming from this emotional place when the other people who you're like kind of at war with are just not. They don't care. They're not hurt. Yeah. You know. So there was a lot of like. Um, I don't I, like there was there was some like bullying, I think, is like when the person is really, I think, ground down by it. And I wouldn't say that I wasn't ground down, but I, my reaction was less to kind of cower, um, cower and more to try to like punch back and just not land. Just none of my punches would land. But you were swinging. I was swinging. I like that. Yeah. Swinging and like falling in your face in the mud. Wow. Did you ever see the the um, TV show Deadwood? No. There's this like great fight in the mud that is kind of like what it's like to be. Did you think of it? Did you think of your high school years when you watched that scene? I I, I actually didn't. I just came up with this okay. right now. But it like really <laughs> it really feels like correct. Okay. It's it's this really. If anybody is listening has seen it, they know what it is. It's incredibly brutal. And I'm not saying that I was the dude that won. Like I probably wasn't the dude that won. And that's just what it was like. It's just a slog. All right. Yeah. But you were fighting back. Now what 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 about these kids? Who are these kids? And what happened to them? Um. You know, it's 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 weird to talk about. I, I've I knew them, one of them since elementary school, one of them all through high school, but I wasn't friends with them. I didn't know them super well, so in a way it feels like like I don't want to come at it like, oh, I'm this person that really knew them, but at the same time I'm really affected by their story. Like I don't want to be disrespectful to their friends who, you know, suffered this great loss where I suffer I suffered like a very different kind of loss, but I've spent a lot of time thinking about them because, you know, I think I thought of them as like really different from me, like strong and powerful and like sure of themselves and sure of their place in this world. And I think that, you know, they, they were suffering in very similar ways that I was suffering and handling it differently, handling it totally differently. And also it's that thing of like missed connection that now that I'm an adult, I'm like, could we have like been people that were like good for each other and instead we were just it was just this awful toxic thing oh yeah so what happened to them uh uh, they two two of them committed suicide together no separately like one and then the other yeah in like a contagion kind of way yeah there was there was a little bit of um there's a little bit of like moral panic about it in my hometown briefly no i Um, talked to uh jennifer michael hecht on this show she mm -hmm. wrote a whole book about suicide and 
Um, I lost a friend to suicide in college, and there's a it's a contagious behavior. Yeah, I I mean there's that. I and I understand why it I understand why it's a contagious behavior, but um. So wait, one of them killed himself, mm-hmm. herself, himself, himself. It was two. It was two guys. How did he kill himself? Uh, he hung himself. And then how long after did the next one do it? Uh, um, on. Like within a year, under a year. Um, I have a bad memory, so I'm kind of fuzzy on the exact same timing, way? but same way. Damn. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, it's I think really about, rough. I think about this. I was just reading in the news the other day about going, you know, it's like all these stories are in the news about mm-hmm. the first day of school, going back to school, kids going to school. Yeah. And uh, there was a story, I think, out of Japan about the teen suicide rate skyrocketing prior to the first day of school because kids are dreading going back because they're going to yeah. get picked on. Yeah. And I mean, that just breaks your heart. And it's like, it's terrible. I, I hear about, I know, I, you know, in a big public school or in a school where there's too many students of any, you know, whatever kind of school it is, it can be hard for the adults to keep track of everything. But when you've got a bullying situation in a school, I think the onus is on the, uh, the faculty to mediate. You've got to get in there and manage this, especially, yeah. I mean, I think there are, I think there's a way, especially if you get at it young, if you, you get at children when they're young to create a culture in a school where kids understand um, that bullying is not okay, or is that just part of adolescence? Am I being too idealistic? No, I'm. I'm. I don't think you're being too idealistic. I think it's something to work towards. I just. I don't know how. I don't know how you you regulate that because part of the thing about being teased and being bullied is there's such an associated shame. It's like talking about it with anyone. Like I guess if you're if you're a kid that's being bullied. And to maybe tap into some kind of system, unless the faculty witness it, you'd have to kind of talk about it. You would have to say, I'm being bullied. And there's so much associated shame with that, that it's, I think it'd be really hard to get kids to kind of opt into any kind of system. And then if you're a faculty member that notices it and tries to stop it, you can't be there all the time and you're going to make it worse. So I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, I think that for me... If anybody bullies my kids, I will kick, kick their ass. <laughs> no, but I mean, I'd see yeah. my daughter. Like, my daughter's yeah. really passive. Mm-hmm. Um, like, not in a bad way, but she's just a nice kid. She's not going to... She's not going to be the alpha dog. Right. And I can... You know, you get into group situations and you can sort of see who the mean girls are. Yeah. Oh, totally. And like, or who they're going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, God. You know, like, I'm just... You, you don't want to see your kid get picked on it's a horrible feeling i think honestly for me like i don't know how well this would work but i think that the thing to do is maybe to not try to stop being picked on like stop kids from picking on each other but try to give kids the ability to handle it like emotionally right like whether it's like talking to a therapist that can talk them through it or just trying to like Talk to them about, like, th- these might be the motivations of the people that are bullying you, and it's not about you. And, and just, like, having them find that inner fortitude, I think it's I think it's working on these strategies of, like, self-strength and, and, and fortitude that, that would help. That sounds, that sounds wise. And, like, and also communication. There's got to be, mm-hmm. like, ways of talking about this, I mean, among the students. Right. That are more effective than others. But yeah. I, I think that... Um, um, something that helped me is that, and this is going to sound weird. Like I had a really solid group of, oh, sorry, of high school girls who. So you had friends. I had friends. I had a solid group of friends starting from about like, you know, I, I knew them all through elementary school, but we became close like seventh grade, sixth grade. I mean, I think I was kind of in their group in sixth grade, but not really 
like you know core member were you all loud walkers or no it's just really just, just me <laughs> really just me um but i'm imagining you just all clomping down the hall together. oh I'm, I'm still a clomper okay. like it's still one of like people know i'm coming at work right, you know right um but they were we were not we were not easy on each other we were tough on each other and in a way that kind of sucked because there wasn't there wasn't like a place where I could go where it like, like socially where it wasn't hard, even though I had, you know, but we were also, we were tough on each other, but we like loved each other really ferociously and we're still friends. I was going to say, you're still friends. Oh yeah. Still but friends. But you know what? Teenage girls are always going to be tough on each other. Always going Teenage to Teenage boys are going to be tough right. on each other. But, but I think that it was helpful that I had these people that we were, like, and I was tough on them too. I'm not saying it was just, it was just, uh one-sided but it was like sweet katie getting picked on (laughs) sweet katie just getting picked on no um but you know it was one of those things where it was like you know the people would be tough on me but then it wasn't they didn't want me around it wasn't that they didn't like me and care about me it was just this like tough thing and so i think it kind of just taught me to be kind of tough and to not take things too seriously and to be able to like take like have enough whatever confidence in myself it was it was a hard lesson to learn. It took a while, but have enough confidence in myself to kind of, if somebody was going to come at me with some whatever nonsense, to be like, that's nonsense, and here's something. When, when did you get to that point? College? Um, college-ish. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Last, Maybe last I'm month? still last <laughs> month. Maybe I'm still getting to that point. No, but it like it was it was strong enough in me that in high school, especially by like my junior and senior years of high school, I wasn't like as devastated by the teasing and the emotional, you know, whatever yeah. stuff. I mean, I at that point I was getting teased a lot still. But I wasn't as affected by it on a day-to-day level. Did you date anybody in high school? Not really. No. I didn't, I didn't either. I had like a, like a two-month thing. Yeah. Once. Was it good? No. You still think about Though it? Though it was still, it was potentially <laughs> one of, well, he's, you know, somebody that I still know, uh, kind of minorly. There could be something sweet about that adolescent love, yeah. though. Like, I mean, you know, it looking back. It wasn't love. Whatever. Oh, Not it was just love. lust? It was just, well, I mean, it was just like, it was companionship, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, was he attractive? Yeah, it was a cute guy. Okay. And uh, uh, we had a very romantic uh, New Year's Eve, oh, you know, yeah. in the snow on the park bench. Kind of kiss. I think so, yeah. All right. Yeah, probably. Or drinking. Were you Frenching? We Frenched a little bit. Oh, my God. We Frenched a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Frenching. Uh, wow. See, I, it's like it's very awkward. I was always like, I, like I continue to be, I was then and continue to be now sort of flabbergasted by uh, people who knew how to like date and have relationships when they were like 16. Oh yeah. People knew though. Like it was a, it was a mystery to me for a long time. Like maybe an embarrassingly long time. It was like people were dating in high school. I could barely like tie my shoes. Well, some, some of them were, some of them had like, I think really solid, good, positive relationships that, you know, you'd be lucky to have now as an adult. Yeah. And so, but some of them were just, you know, flailing. There was just like mutual flailing. I would have taken that. Yeah, me too. But <laughs> I, like, I couldn't I couldn't figure out how to like sync up with somebody else. Yeah, like, I just I was I had a big crush on one girl and just like locked on and then yeah. like but couldn't express it and she wasn't into me. Yeah, I had a big crush on on one guy actually. Well, uh, well, I had a couple of big crushes and I was I was very confused or well not for part of high school I was super confused about my sexuality because I'm I'm bisexual and I and then part of it was like I had understood that about myself and was like. 
okay, hanging on till college. You know what I mean? So what, you um, knew in high school? Yeah, I knew in high school. Do you have a relationship with a woman in high school? No. Never? No, no, no. But you knew? I knew. Oh, yeah. How did you know? Like, tell I me, mean, when did, did you know? When how did you... did you know that you wanted to kiss a girl before Julia, you ever kissed a Julia girl? Julie on the love boat. Yeah, Julie on the love boat. That was the first um, oh, time oh, I was oh, like, who Whoa. was my like first crush on a girl? Yeah. There was this girl that, um, it was actually a girl that was in my gym class. Okay. And uh, her name was Carly Cook. Uh-huh. And uh, she used to, she had an older boyfriend who would give her hickeys on her boobs. And she would show us her hickeys. And I was just like, <laughs> shit. <laughs> I like her boobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, this is, this is confusing and then i figured it out and then i was like well i'm not gonna tell anybody this until i get to college i had a friend uh i had a friend in college who had a girlfriend you know a friend who was a girl who she didn't realize was a lesbian Mm -hmm. until later right yeah but then like after the fact she was looking back and she was like my god she used to always like want to braid my hair and like do that kind of stuff and I mean, looking back, is that maybe there was an attraction there? Maybe it was just friendship. Who knows? No, there was an attraction. There was an attraction yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. I'm just like, did it manifest like that for you? Were you like, Can I do your hair? No, I never wanted to do anybody's hair. I'm really bad at doing <laughs> hair. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, no. It was more like I was. I was always very. Um, I had a lot of social anxiety, and that lasted until really recently, until like the past couple of years. You I've go to therapy? Of, yeah, I do. You do? Does it help? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you do anything? You have a god in your life. Do you, like, what do um, you do? What do you do to manage it? I watch a lot of television. Pills. A lot of pills. Do you? Just, no. None. No. Not none. Just not a lot. Just, I think a regular meds. No. No. Uh, no formal medication. Okay. No. No medication for the anxiety, um, unless you count like a glass of wine. Glass of wine. Glass of wine. Uh, so what do you Which do? Which you shouldn't count. <laughs> no. No. It's not. Um, what do I do? Uh, you know, I talk. I talk to my therapist a lot. I really work things out through talking. Just so, like, I, I have a psychoanalyst who's, and that's exactly what I need, which is just somebody that's going to let me talk and, and get there and sometimes help me shape my thoughts um, and sometimes give her opinions, which is nice. What are you um, anxious about? Do you know? Ev- well, besides everything. Yeah. Um, like, can you narrow it down? Is like, is yeah. it death? Is it um shame is it failure like you know what i'm saying like what are the things that are yeah i mean other people the like like really just this podcast this this podcast (laughs) is is great though no um i've i've really i'm managing it pretty well now not all the time I'm, i'm having a little bit of a lately the past couple of like months actually it's been I'm, I'm mostly okay but if i have like enough caffeine like enough of any kind of stimulant right i'll get a lot more anxious than i normally would um so you can't do amphetamines no i mean i can i know but i'm saying like you get really super paranoid if you did stuff like that but... you know it's not it, i think that it will like I'm trying to remember what exactly is classified as an amphetamine like coke like coke yeah. well i i do but there's a euphoria that's associated with some of them. Uh-huh. Like if you think about like Adderall or something like that, like you do get really keyed up, but there's also the euphoria. So that helps to counteract it. I did it once and I didn't like it. You didn't like the Adderall? I mean, I did it and I like, I was like trying to work. That's right. I remember I heard about that. I read, yeah. I listened to the podcast. Right. I was like, okay, let's, this is all the rage. I'm, this yeah. is, this moment has missed mm-hmm. me, but like, I want to be in touch with right. what the youth are doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I went to a coffee shop. Hey, I sat there for 10 hours, yeah. I mean, is that, but I was just kind of like, I tried to write and I did didn't really get much done right yeah it was sort of like um fool's gold you know i right. thought i was gonna like finish like you know 25 no, words no, no, of no, a book. no i don't i mean i think it's really good for people that i don't like do a ton of drugs recreationally i mean i 
I'm not, I'm like somewhat, I'm, I was, I think to think I'm in, I'm at like a good normal level of, you know, not too much of a square to never do drugs, but not somebody that needs to do it every weekend. You smoke pot? Occasionally. You eat it? Mm, Occasionally. I mean, I don't, I don't. You're not a stoner, though. I'm not a stoner. No, I just I have friends that do, and so sometimes it's around. I mean, this you're is a Los glass. Of, you're a glass of wine girl. I'm a glass of wine girl. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm I'm very much like uh, I got into a place where I have to be a little bit more in moderation, just because I do I work a day job, and then my weekends are the only time I have to write. So if I go out and get like super blasted, or like you know, one night and woke up, wake up super hungover, or if everyone's like, we're gonna go to Joshua Tree and drop mushrooms, like I don't have time to write, so. Writing comes before Joshua Tree. Writing comes before Joshua Tree most of the time. Most of the time. But once a Everything year. Everything in balance. Yeah. But I'm not really, I don't like mushrooms or acid or anything like that. You don't? No fun. Um, I did mushrooms in Amsterdam. And? And uh, I didn't love it. Did shit get weird? It did. It got super weird. I was, there was a lot of tactile. I was like touching the walls. Um, of I, what? Of uh, the hostel. Eventually we went home. <laughs> Don't do mushrooms was, at a hostel, people. <laughs> and then I was watching, I swear to God, I was watching the TV show 24. And like, I was pretty sure that it was like dubbed in Dutch, but with subtitles in English or something. It was very, but I, I obviously don't remember this super clearly. Um, but I, just, I didn't have any fun. Yeah. Didn't have any fun. Got to be in nature. I don't like things that, fuck with my perception in terms of like what i'm seeing i don't like anything that's like visual visual no that's ugh. yeah it, it just scares me just thinking about it okay that yeah. was a one-time shot yeah all right so bisexuality mm-hmm. let's try to get ratings here okay <laughs> i feel like people will be interested in this but i'm interested yeah. in this because november sweeps <laughs> yeah right uh you're in high school mm-hmm. carly carly cook carly cook's boobs yeah, just <laughs> the boob hickeys. Yeah, and sorry, then Carly. You go to uh, you go to you go to college. Uh huh. And like, is this when you start to like actually explore? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't call it super experimental. Like, I'm always somebody that kind of works something out in my head before I do it. So there's not a lot of like. I'm trying to figure out if I'll like this. I've kind of, I'm in my head, I'm like, okay, I've already thought about this enough that I'm pretty sure I know what I'm going to like. Yeah. Um, and I'm usually pretty close to the mark. Um, and yeah, and so and so pretty early on in college, I didn't, I told my friends about it from home via live journal, yeah. uh, which is... <laughs> Just the way everyone yeah, tells we, their friends from home things. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. Now, did, what did your friends say? Were, were any of them like, um, yeah, we know, or were they all surprised or... I think it was a com- it was like partly surprised, partly like not too surprised. Um, it you know it's 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 I don't think that anybody like fell down from the shock, but I think that did it affect any relationships negatively? I think that there was some people that felt a little bit lied to, but it like the the you know because I like the, I was good friends with them and I knew for a really long time and didn't ever tell them and didn't talk to them about it. Oh, and they're like, why didn't you tell us? Yeah, why yeah, didn't yeah, you tell yeah. Us? yeah. Oh, okay. Um. And, um, but no, it, it didn't really change. Like I'm still friends with all the same people and they know. And do you have a preference? Is nah, it like a 50, 50 split? Not really. No. I mean like, like it's not, it's, cause some people it's think, hard some to, people think bisexuality is bullshit. I've heard people yeah, say that. They're a like, lot of people think it's bullshit. It's like, you're just a lesbian. Get over right. it. Or, you you're know, you're just straight. And, yeah. And you just had a weird summer, yeah. but like you, you're, you're 50, 50. Um, well, you could go out and have you ever gone out? It's hard to quantify desire, but like if you need to, like, sure. Have you ever gone out in a night and made out with a guy and a girl? 
Sure. Wow. Yeah, Greece. You know, it's wild, <laughs> wild place on those islands. I mean, it's 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 like um, wait, that really in, in Greece it happened. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like after college, like Eurorail kind of thing. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. I just didn't do. I didn't do like the big Eurorail trip. But I mean, I mean, there's plenty of times that's happened. Um, that sounded sluttier <laughs> than I meant. Um, but you know, I, I think that it's just it's hard to kind of because desire ends up being focused on individuals like obviously you can talk about your sexuality as like you know i'm attracted to you know people of a certain gender or gender doesn't come into play like my definition of bisexuality is that i'm attracted to people regardless of gender um so it's not just like men and women it's like whatever our spectrum of gender is that doesn't come into play in terms of my desire but and and this is very different than saying like i'm attracted to the person um that's true, but the way that it's used is to like kind of say like, oh, I don't have any queer identity, and I totally do have queer identity. It's just that, you know, I can't say like I'm fifty percent into guys and fifty percent into girls if I think that kind of gender is more of a spectrum than that. I think you know I I've, I used to uh, theorize. What was I saying? I think it was it was in the context of the gender spectrum or the sexuality spectrum, where like somebody who's like like uber hetero is like a 10 somebody who's uber homo is a one mm-hmm. and then everybody in between falls somewhere along that spectrum yeah. and i was thinking to myself like the kinsey scale right? yeah like the kinsey yeah. scale so it's like if somebody is a bisexual and in and kind of Im- embodies the masculine and the feminine or something right that maybe they're like the uber human i mean you could I be you feel... could be you could be like the one. <laughs> the one. I'm the missing link. No, um I'm the next step in evolution. Is that what it is? I no. think I mean I don't know. I just no. think that like maybe there's something like like it's the most fully realized kind of human or something. Right. Like that seems like at least like arguable or yeah. makes some weird sense to I me. I mean I well I don't know anything else. And I it actually kind of sometimes if I'm like kind of joking about it, like I kind of feel bad that it just seems sucky to be limited by like gender like if you really love somebody and really care about them and like want to make a life with them and you're like oh but because you're a man i don't i don't like that sex part of it that's important i don't feel that for you like that's kind of tragic and so it's i mean and and that can happen if like let's say you're a guy that's attracted to guys you can say like oh you know you're perfect for me in every way and i don't want to have sex with you even if you're in general attracted to men it can happen with an individual guy but it's just so nice to kind of know that however like the person has kind of like whatever is going on in their body, there's not going to be some hard line where I'm like not interested. It's going to be more about, you know, gradations of desire rather than yeah, but you, but you can Yeah, I know. But you can do the sex with the different gender people. Like I've never even had a sexual dream about a guy. Yeah. I've never, I've never hooked up That's with a guy. Great. But, but here's the thing. Because, like, if we're talking about the Kinsey scale, mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm, like, uber hetero bro. Right. I'm sort of more towards the middle, but I'm still fully well, hetero. That's, like, I think that's more about, like, your gender performance rather than your sexual desire. Or, like, your, or like your feeling about what it is to be, quote, unquote, male in America in 2015 or whatever. Like, you're, like, that thing that's, like, the idea of it is not me, but still I only want to date women or never even would never because i feel like your dreams would tell you something or like you'd be having like some sort of involuntary fantasy or like compulsive fantasy none of that 
yeah. it's always women for me. Yeah, I mean, and that's. I think that I think that it's. I think that you know, I think you're conflating your like sort of sexual desire with your gender performance or your gender, not even performance, but like what parts of being a man that feel like right to you or like right about yourself. Cause there's many, there's many like things about being a woman that I'm like, yeah, I really feel that. And then there are many things about being a woman that I'm like, that doesn't, or like, or like the idea of what being a woman is that just doesn't feel right for me. Yeah. Um, and some of that is just like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not very, I'm not like very demure. Like I'm, I'm, I have this thing where I don't, like I don't, I don't like take a back seat and very few women nowadays do, but like, that's like a female thing that doesn't really connect with me. Even like in, in what context, all contexts? Pretty much. At work? Do you lean in? <laughs> I lean in. No, I mean like, like, uh, I, I don't know that. I mean, like, I feel like I'm, I've got to think about this a little bit more before I say it, because I also believe in like. Like, especially at work, like there are people that are, you know, higher up on the hierarchy than me. And I really believe in kind of um, sublimating your own, like, not like like will and desire, but, you know, just being like subordinate in certain situations can be really satisfying or, you know, beneficial, personally beneficial. Like you're going to get in trouble at work if you're always like coming at your boss like real hot and not respecting them of course yeah yeah but sometimes but sometimes you have to but right. at the same time sometimes you have to hold the line yeah with any any you yeah. know in any context mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and like yeah. i feel oh, like totally. i feel like men can do this women you know i feel like you know you hear a lot about this in the workplace or you hear about a lot about this in life um i mean you you know i don't want i feel like i would be speaking out of turn to even talk about it with too much authority but uh not being demure having a voice, having confidence in that voice, being willing to speak up for oneself. It sort of ties back into what we were talking about with regard to the bullying. I think that it's also in the way, it's like the way that you speak up about yourself is, is more, or speak up for yourself. I don't know many women nowadays who would characterize themselves as demure or who would say they don't speak up for themselves. Right. I think it's like the nature of how you do that has become, is like the thing that's gendered now. Well, yeah. Well, and it's also, you know, it's hard, um, Speaking, like having a conversation, especially if you disagree with somebody mm-hmm. or having a conversation that's emotionally sensitive in mm-hmm. whatever context, could be work, could be personal. Yeah. And uh, saying no firmly but politely, disagreeing with yeah. respect a- as a language project, those are difficult things to it's do hard. in a relationship. Yeah. Like just the language of it. Like just not speaking in anger, like making sure that whatever you say doesn't trigger anger in the other person. Like this yeah. stuff is very difficult to do. Moving away from the gender stuff, I think it's really hard to find the balance of disagreeing but still being open to the conversation, yeah. which is something that I think not a lot of people always are striving to do. Um, and it's very hard to strive to do that. I try sometimes and often fail is to like be open to hearing what the other person is saying while at the same time like you know making that line that like firm no or something yeah well no okay so i've thought about this like mm-hmm. conflict resolution um everything from as like as macro as like you know israel palestine to um you know uh, me and a friend or whatever yeah. it is you know like a, me and another person um 
there there have to be constructs to communication or conflict resolution that are more productive than others. Right. And like it could be something as radical as like one person gets to talk and the other person has to listen and cannot respond. But they have to listen yeah. to the enti- they have to listen to the person in it, you know, and let them speak their mind entirely or they set it, you know, for a half an hour for an hour. Right. And then you set an appointment for like the next day and it flips. And you know what I'm saying? Like something, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. it sounds totally like, like a yeah. burdensome, like completely crazy process. But like, if you don't do it that way, then I think you get into what you were speaking about just a moment ago, where you're basically just arguing over each other and you're on your fixed point and no one's coming off Yeah, and it becomes sort of uh, futile. Yeah. I'm. Like, I feel like you're right. I don't, I don't think about conflict resolution a ton because, <laughs> well, even, I mean, like, I, I kind of Clearly do. I don't either, but. No, yeah. no, no, of course not. Of course not. Yeah. No, but like, I, I like you're, there's, there seems like there's something good about your method, but it's, it, what seems to me, I have a hard time thinking about solving big problems or making big pronouncements, um, like, like, you know. Israel-Palestine conflict, <laughs> I have no idea how to fix that. Yeah. And I don't feel like I'm the woman for the job. You know what I mean? But but you know what? It's all of a piece. I'm, I'm thinking there's like a through line now because you go back to your high school, the mm-hmm. loud walking, the people picking on you, uh, these kids who wound up committing suicide. Um, you know, we were talking about teachers mediating. Yeah. But it comes down to communication. Like we have to learn the language project. Like how do we communicate with each other in a way that doesn't blow things up? Yeah. I mean, I think that I think you're totally right. I think there's so many things, especially in our world, in our country right now, where people think that there's one right answer or one thing that's right for everyone. And I think that for most things, there is no one right answer and no things that are right for everyone. I mean, if we're talking about something like sex ed in in schools, I think that there are some kids who are 16 and like ready emotionally and some kids who are 16 who aren't going to be ready for like many, many years. And I think that the best thing to do is put no value judgment on that at all. And it's, I think it really hard for, for some reason for us as a culture or even as individuals to not put value judgments on what, you know, one thing being better than the other thing. Like, is it better we have to acknowledge the 16-year-old who's ready to have sex. We have to acknowledge a 16-year-old who's not ready to have sex. And both of those need to be simultaneously completely different and equally okay. And I think it's really hard for people to hold that in their head. Um, and I think there's so many things in the world that need to be simultaneously, like, opposite and okay and need to be able to coexist. Like, the lights need to be on and off at the same time, and it's fine or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's tricky. Very tricky. It's one, I mean, this stuff's been going on for a long time. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's one magic bullet. No, I don't think there is. Um, People talk a lot about the dangers of kind of siloing yourself away with only people that support your own ideas. Um, You know, getting only positive feedback that, that kind of like, you know, whatever, what is it? The like conservative talk radio, if that's all you listen to and that's what you believe you know, what are you ever going to learn? What are you ever going to do? It's, I mean, same thing for like, um, if you are only listening to, I don't know, there's no 
like MSNBC, I want to move this out of the political realm. Or if you're, if all you do is like, it's an talk, echo chamber. Yeah, it's a reinforcing whatever kind of you're. Echo chamber. Yeah, re- reinforcing whatever yeah. you believe or whatever. If you're in the suburbs in LA and everybody that is your neighbor is watering their garden once a week, you're not going to get the perspective of the person that's like, hey, you know, maybe you should stop watering your gardens. We're in a drought or whatever. You know, any kind of echo chamber that you can be in. Um, is really dangerous and I believe that but they're so comforting and it's so difficult to just be alive like it's hard to just get up every day and go to work and come home that leaving in your echo chamber is so emotionally difficult I have no idea how to convince people to do it being challenged you like do you like to what's your echo chamber oh um I don't know I mean maybe it's just Los Angeles maybe it's just that like you know I don't I don't get a lot of pushback for all of the ways in which I'm like the things that you would think that, you know, if I lived in like certain areas that people would have a hard time with the fact that I'm queer and like that wouldn't be okay, that I'm not totally heterosexual. I get none of that, you know. Um, I get some stuff about the bisexuality, but it's usually coming from such a good place. It doesn't feel super hateful. It just feels more like um, the person doesn't quite understand me yet. Um, So it doesn't feel like I'm being downtrodden. So I think I just seek out people that are, into the same things that I am and, and stick with them. There's nothing wrong with that. No. I mean, you know, I mean, I, mean nice. I know you want to entertain opposing viewpoints or whatever right. and test yourself, but like, right. that doesn't mean you have to go to dinner with them. It just means, you know, I guess you <laughs> like read an article every right. now and then, which I certainly do not do. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, okay. So you went to Oberlin. Mm-hmm. That seems like a good school. I've talked to a lot of Oberlin grads on this uh, yeah. program. It was great. It was good. It was good. Were you I, there with Lena Dunham? I was there with Lena Dunham. Yeah. You know her? Uh, yeah. I mean, a little bit. We what were, was she like in college? Spill some dirt on Lena Dunham. Lena Dunham was the same. I mean, she was. Well, we, I was in a couple of creative writing classes with her. She was. Did you did you smart. did you predict like oh she's going to do big things? Um. Or has it come? Know, has it come as a of, shock? I mean, you know what? You know what's come as a shock is like the level of fame. Like I, I, I always thought that probably you know she was she, that probably she would like make movies, um, but you know. You know, there's a like if you think about like how famous Noah Baumbach is versus how famous Lena Dunham is, or like the ways in which they're famous. It, it wouldn't, it didn't surprise me that she became famous and that she was doing these big things. I think that, but I don't think you can ever predict that somebody's going to become like a cultural tipping point or a touchstone or whatever you want to call it, like, like a lightning rod. Exactly. I don't think it's really. You can say, oh yeah, that person's probably going to be famous, but I think it's incredibly difficult to predict if someone's going to become a lightning rod. In Were you guys way. friends? I would say that we were like solid acquaintances. We've we hung out once in Los Angeles since I moved out here, but it's we're not like buddies. still in touch or buddies, yeah, and, yeah. and that doesn't feel like any kind of thing. It feels normal that we're not buddies. Why do you think she's such a lightning rod? Oh, um, like what is it? Because I, I, I mean, I've asked myself this question: anytime, like, What is it? Anytime it's like perfect storm, right? Anytime, anytime there's a real lightning rod, it's because. There are a lot of things that people want to talk about that can be talked about by using this one person or one thing. And so that's what it is. I think that and it it's was... it's a gender thing too. Like, a, 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 right. like she has, she's not afraid to speak her mind. And she wouldn't she... be a lightning rod if she was a guy, but she also wouldn't be a lightning rod if she was white. And she also wouldn't be a lightning rod if she was like skinny and like conventionally pretty. Um, I think that, I think that it was just when she 
burst onto the scene, there were a lot of things people wanted to talk about that could all be embodied by her. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my God, there are so many things to talk about that we as a culture have been trying to talk about and now we've got this way to do it. Um, and then it snowballs. It's you snowballs. Know, it's snowballs. I was just going to say she's got balls. But yeah, then you said she does. She does have balls. She does. Yeah. I like her courage. Like, she's great. Um, and uh, the show Girls. I mean, it's not something that like if you told, if you described it to me, I would be like, I don't know if that's for me. I've right. watched every episode. It's yes. Yeah, so have I. It's you great. Know? It's kind of annoying. There's a little bit of like white privilege um, mm-hmm. that, you know, it makes my skin crawl. Like both with like I recoil from it, but I also recognize it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to it's, disavow. Like, it I, I think- is interesting that we've decided to look at white privilege when it's coming from a young woman doing something like there's a lot of shows, a lot of television shows where yeah. you can look at it and have those same criticisms. Right. And it's frustrating to me that I'm like, why are you doing it to the show with like, do it to this show. The criticisms are valid, but you gave a lot of other shows a pass. Yeah. There's a lot of other shows that get a pass and it's frustrating to me that this one, that if they, if the, if that it's, it's frustrating to me that the conversation didn't seem to expand outwards from girls. Like if we're going to use girls to talk about that, let's let's move it let's move it out. Let's yeah. let's talk about it a lot more. Right. And it seems like we're not talking about talking about it as much. I wonder why. I don't know. I mean, there's the cynical thing which is it's cuz she's a young woman and young we don't let our young women succeed in the way that she succeeded. It's like a, she's defying some sort yeah. of like unspoken rule. Yeah. Or... yeah. If you think of like, you know, we, we let our young men succeed like that, but we don't really let our young women succeed like that. And Do you feel like things are getting better? In, in what way? In what, like in, just in general, in yeah, everything? for women. I mean, like do you think things are, are things improving? Because I mean, there's like a lot of, um, there's a lot of um, injustice Right. There's a lot. I mean, I, I read about it all the time, and it'll, you know, and uh, there's a lot of uh, barriers still uh, to women and to minorities uh, in our society, and it can get like, uh, you know, I can get depressed thinking about yeah. it, especially, you know, and so it's like, but then I want to be optimistic. Like, are we getting better? Things have gotten better. I think so. I mean, it's really. I think it's hard to tell. You know, I think it's hard. It's hard to step for me. It's hard to step outside and see it because I think there are things that are better and then things that are worse too. So it's really hard to make an overall statement. Yeah, is it? Do you feel it in publishing? Oh, you know, I've. I don't know if I'm the right. I don't know if I've had the experience that would give me that perspective because Melville House. It like has a good track record in terms of that kind of stuff, and I worked with a female editor, and um, I didn't feel at any point that there was anything super gendered about the cover that I was given or the way that the marketing was done for my book. How did you um, get your book published? Oh, uh, it's a um, I, I combo skill and luck, like everybody else, I guess. But um, so I. Like Eden Lepucky, who I know you've had on the show and who wrote the book California and who's uh, an amazing writer and teacher and person. Also an Oberlin grad. Oh, also an Oberlin grad. Yeah, Yeah, that's – I met her through Oberlin Connections. Um, She knew Kirsten Reach, who was my editor at Melville House, because Kirsten had previously been an editor at – I think it was Henry Holt. 
and had wanted to acquire Eden's like first unpublished novel, um, but you know didn't couldn't acquire it. Like you know, the the whole team didn't get on board with it, unfortunately. But they knew each other and they had stayed in touch. And Eden thought Kirsten would like my novel, so she mentioned that I was working on it when I was still working on it, like in a workshop that Eden had. I was you know, a student of hers, so Kirsten started kind of following like my internet stuff and then what's your internet stuff just like twitter Twitter. and tumblr and stuff like that your twitter uh, bio like you say i'm a stacked what is it a stacked stacked blonde on sunset boulevard Uh, that's a good literary story actually do you know eve babbitts yeah um i mean i don't know her but i know of her yeah so eve babbitts wrote a letter to somebody i think it was like john heller does that sound like a name um that was like this was the entirety of the letter and it was like with a manuscript she was submitting and the entirety of the level, the letter was I'm a stacked 18 year old I'm a I'm a stacked 18 year old blonde on Sunset Boulevard right I'm also a writer <laughs> um and I read that for the first time when I was 28 and I actually live on Sunset Boulevard like in Echo Park right above stories oh no way yeah and like the Jensen Rec Center apartments um so like, as I was reading that, I was like, oh, my God, I have to, like, make this my Twitter bio, but change it to 28. So even though I'm 29 now, my Twitter bio still says that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So that's... So that's the so backstory. That's, that's the backstory. Yeah. Do you get, like, any creepy people, like, being like, hey? You know, um, I, I... Not any more than I think than I would. Like, it's only been brought up a couple of times to me. And like, I'm three one of, times. <laughs> and yeah. I'm one of them. <laughs> You're one of them. Well, I'm always checking people. Like, people are going to come yeah. on the show. I check their Twitter. Of and course. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know it's, it is a line that you notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twitter bios, like, I'm stacked and I live on Sunset Boulevard. It's yeah. Like, what's that um, all about? If, yeah, it's, it's, there's not enough space. For a while, I was attributing it to, like, Eve Babbitt's, but there wasn't enough space to do that and also put in, because, you know, Twitter bio is only 140 characters, but I also wanted to put in, the, like, I like my information about my book, um, and so I lost the attribution, and I was just like, I'm just going to own this. There you yeah. go. Okay. Um, so you get your book into the hands of this editor, Kirsten, Kirsten Reach? Kirsten Reach, yeah. Basically, she, so Eden, she'd been following what was going on, and when, um, when I was done Eden told her and she sent me an email and was like I want to look at it because she knew I didn't have an agent Melville House doesn't always works with doesn't you know they, they work with some agents they also take on agent and manuscripts sure. um, and so I sent it to her um, and I really liked Melville House I was into them as a publishing house it was one of like a couple of places that I thought would be a good kind of fit for my like weird little book and um I was really excited. And also I had, you know, heard about Kirsten from Eden and heard such good things. Um, so then she took it and really liked it and it kind of went up through Melville house and they really liked it. But, um, when it got to their legal team, there was a bit of like a thing. So, um, a bit of a thing about what just, it was just, there was just some stuff in there that like, wasn't going to fly. And, and, and so basically Kirsten came back and was like, we really like this, but there's changes that need to be made. You know, you don't have to do them, but if you're willing, we would look at it again when you were done. Um, so this wasn't like a, we're probably going to take it, just make these changes. It was a like, you need to kind of do a page one edit and we'll see if at the end we still like it. Um, and so that was, and I, you know, I kind of figured out that I was going to have to do that edit no matter what. And I still really liked Melville House. And so I had my like month of trauma where I felt, really upset and I was like oh I don't know what's going to happen um and then I just sat down and started doing the edit and took that took another like you know eight months or so to do um I also had gotten notes from Kirsten on other things um just 
like a lot of things to do on the book. Well, the fact that she invested that kind of time tells yeah. you that she was into, interested in the project. Absolutely. Because a lot of times you can have, I feel like you can have editors or publishing houses say stuff like that where they're just like, yeah, do a page one edit, send it back to us, we'll reconsider it, and it's like, it's dead. It, it, felt, it felt not dead. Yeah. It felt very contingent on what the book turned into after the edit. Uh-huh. Like, really, like it, like, it wasn't like a guaranteed yes, but it also wasn't dead. It was like, we really want to see what happens. And you did a good job on the edit. Uh, yeah, apparently so. They took it right away? They took it. They took it, I think it was another couple of months. Where were you when you got month. the news? Um, I was, um, oh God, I was at home. I was in Chicago. Did you cry? Um, I I jumped around. You jumped I, around. I jumped around. I was I was like sky high. Were your, I par- mean, were your parents there? My parents were around. They weren't actually like with me at the moment. Okay. Yeah. Um, but um, it was that was the best day. There have been super high highs since then, but that was like the day of like the most pure, unfiltered joy was because that's, you know, that's the day for your first novel. I've been wanting to write a novel since I was a kid. So that was the day that was like, this is happening. Yeah. That like the dream of, you know, decades is coming true. What's the lowest low? I mean, <laughs> what this this moment right now? Um, it hasn't been. It hasn't been too bad. I've gotten. I haven't had like I didn't get panned anywhere. There were it wasn't all positive reviews. There was like the LA uh, review of books was a little bit mixed on it. Um, you read all the reviews. I read all the major reviews for this one. I'm not like you know. I I, I try to stay away from Goodreads and all the little things. Um, what was the lowest low? I mean, I mean, I think maybe it was. There was like one night. This was actually somewhat recent. There was one time I went into Goodreads that was pretty rough because I I'd kind of gone in and seen all the people that didn't like it. How many stars does the book have? It's only it's like three point two. It's not great. Like that was like thinking about that is a super low low. Yeah. Like that is or it's like or it goes between like three point five or something, which isn't that bad. If you know Goodreads, you know three means I liked it. Four means it was great. Five means this is one of my favorite books. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. You go into Amazon. Mm-hmm. You go into Goodreads. Yeah. Somebody's given your book like five stars. Yeah. And you read their review. Yeah. And they're fucking illiterate. Yeah. They can't write. They're misspelling shit. And it's like, ugh, yeah. that almost feels grosser to me. I'm like, oh, well, stupid people like my book. I haven't had that much of that. Oh. Like, I think that my book has kind of a high I think my book resonates off. with idiots. <laughs> Your book resonates with <laughs> idiots. Idiots love it. Um, I think that people that, because it's like this fictional nonfiction thing, and there's this like pseudo-intellectual sort of thing, and, and I think you get to a certain part in my book, and if you just don't want to be, if you just want to like veg out and read a mystery, you're going to stop reading. Um, because it's a mystery novel, too. So I think that people that come in it, and I love to veg out and read a mystery novel, so there's no hate on those people, but I think that it's like, and I don't think that those people are dumb. I'm, I really walked myself into a corner here. <laughs> um, I haven't had I a ton of, I haven't had a ton of like reviews where I've been like, you can't write. And now I feel bad that you liked my book. I haven't had much of that at yeah. all. I mean, I'm always grateful. I'm always grateful. Oh, I don't yeah. want to sound like a dick, but I mean, no. sometimes you're like, oh, like. If, if somebody re- if somebody reads like some other casual readers going to Amazon right. like read oh a five star review what did this person have to say I don't think it would convince them right I think okay. they would be like okay this You're, is this isn't the best advocate yeah um, another super high high that I had was there was like a YouTuber um, I I wish I remembered her name but she did a review of my book um, on her like YouTube channel and I just watched it the other day and I was like 
it's I was like um like I as close as I've ever come to crying from joy. Wow. Yeah. yeah. You, but you didn't cry. Well, there was a little there was a little like like heaving, but I'm not much of like a happy weeper. Like when I'm happy, I'm Are you more a sad like, weeper? Yeah, oh yeah. I'll, you cry I'll in weep. public? Oh, not well sometimes, but like more like in my car. Okay. Like <laughs> Or in the bathroom, you know, like yeah. I'll excuse myself okay. from the table to go cry. Right. Yeah, I've cried in public though. You have. Yeah. Where? Oh, um, the Black Cat, which is a, uh, it's in Silver Lake. It's like across from the Intelligentsia in Sunset uh-huh. Junction. Uh-huh. It's a restaurant bar. I cried there. I cried on the back porch of El Prado, which is the wine bar across the street from my house. Sad, sad tears. Sad tears. What, uh, what break was happening? Up tears. Oh man. Yeah. Who'd you break up with? I was like an ongoing thing with this this dude. This like I had a I had an ongoing like an ongoing badness with a guy for a while, and so I just cried all over the east side of LA, <laughs> all over. Stick to chicks. While man. he just sat there. Guys are a mess. Yeah. Guys are guys are a, a, a shock. I think a shocking percentage of guys bad at relationships. Is that is that a, is that a that wild most, assessment? Yeah, but I just I think that a shocking percentage of people are bad at relationships. Yeah. And I'm 29. Relationship, relationships are hard. They're really hard. I'm 29. I think a lot of the people that are good at relationships have kind of gotten it together by now. 29's young. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially for this city. But, You're young. But like most of them, like now 39, are not 40, 39, 40 in LA. As it's, not impo- it's not impossible, but it's harder. Yeah, I'll say this. Um, I, I, I joke now that cause, because I'm 29, um, I'm too old for the old guys now. No. I mean, I, yeah. No. And, and, and I know, but like, if you think about it, like when I was like 23, there was a lot of 50-year-old men in bars that were all about it. And I don't really? get as much of that as I used to. Really? Which is nice. Yeah. That's kind of skeevy. It's super skeevy, man. I mean, 50 to 23, like, I mean, hey, it's all, you know, all's fair in love and war. And yeah. like, it's legal, but... 50 to 23 is a big difference. It's a big, it's a big difference. It's a big difference. I mean, it's purely physical. I, these guys, I mean, f- to be a 50, I mean, I get it on a physical level. Like you're mm-hmm. 50, a 50 year old guy and 23 year old girls look great. I, you know, I don't know. Like do, do women don't seem to have as much of this where they look down at like 23 year old men and are like, you I know, do have a friend who loves that. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a good, I'm not a good, um, like example of that because I've always dated guys who are a couple years younger than me, either emotionally or. My wife's older than I am. Yeah, it's great. You're she's a year older. Yeah, I, I older remind woman. Her, I remind her of that. Older woman on a regular basis. Yeah, you you uh, you just really bring energy to the relationship. That's right. <laughs> I'm spry. Yeah. Um, the energy of youth. So yeah, crying in public. I don't think I've cried in public. I'm trying to think of if I have. It's really great, actually. It's super liberating. Um, crying feels good. Crying feels super great. And crying in public is basically saying, like, fuck you, social niceties. I'm sad and I'm going to express it. People should cry more. People should definitely cry more. That would maybe fix a lot of things. Yeah. Like, if yeah. you're sad. Because so many people, they're all bottled up. Super bottled up. Everybody thinks, like, I'm going to, I'm gonna, uh, you know, just dive into my telephone. I'm going to mm-hmm. get on the internet. I'm going to forget about this. I'm going to eat this cupcake. I'm going to watch tv i'm going to go to the movies i'm going to get in my car i'm going to yeah. you know all these things to busy ourselves what we really need to do sit down in public and cry and cry or even in, even just like you know in your in your own space just crying as a practice yeah. you know let it out yeah um it can be very cathartic so what happens when we die do you have any ideas oh i think we our i've been asking turn off. i've been asking people this on this show yeah. lately it's like I, a, it's a consistent question yeah, yeah. you just I, think it's lights out i think it's lights out yeah nothing nothing 
Does that make you sad? Yeah, of course. Um, but only because I would like I would like to live forever unaging, of course, because your body becomes kind of useless and shriveled. Um, and because I want to see what's going to happen. You know, three. I want to. I want to know what humanity is doing in the year three thousand and fifteen. You know what I mean? I want to know what we're up to. I want to know what our brains are like. You think we're going to make it that far? I, I think. I think. You know, we'll figure it out. I you think do. that we have. I think that our species has. I mean, maybe that this is this is incredibly egotistical, but I feel like our species has a pretty strong survival instinct. Um, however. I think I think on an individual level we have a strong survival instinct. I think if you think if you look at other species, like each individual ant is not worried about like their own life. They're worried about like the life of the colony. That's what and, we like, need to be more like. Well, if we were if we were more like that, we may have it may be easier and more difficult to survive as a species. I think that I think that our numbers will decrease. I think I think we're going to leave the planet. I think by three think, yeah. three thousand because like they uh, they're going to discover a planet that is Earth like. And we can go live on it once we destroy this one. And See, we're that's this nasty, that's the science fiction parasitic race. That's the science fiction movie or the science fiction book that I want to like read, watch slash live is like a perfect Edenic. Is that a word? Yeah, but Eden like Earth like planet with no dinosaurs. Nothing. It's gonna be a slog, though, man. It's not gonna be perfect. But just imagine that. That would be great. You get but, there, the real estate, wide open. Yeah, but getting there is going to be a slog. Getting there is going to be hell. It might be like... But uh, if you're born there. Like if you know, right. let, let, somebody else col- let somebody else colonize it. Well, if you're born there, then it's just going to be like, I don't know. It's going to be super weird. Obviously, if there are people left on... Imagine Earth be- One. They're yeah. gonna, they're, our language is going to evolve differently, and so eventually, people from Earth One and people from Earth Two won't be able to communicate. Earth Two Point Earth Two Point <laughs> God, that would be so weird to be like. There's like 800 people living on a planet like the size of Earth or bigger, and you're one of the 800. That yeah, would be. You wouldn't be thinking about your life in planet scope. You know what I mean? You'd be thinking about like your village. I guess. I think. Who knows, though? I think I'd be like, I'm one of 800 people on this fucking ball. We're out here, you know, starting over. Well, I think that you're thinking of yourself. It's all about me. Living forever. Uh Uh-huh. Like, you, Brad Listy, of now, just (laughs) making it that far. Yeah. And, like, being one of those 800 people on that ball and being like, look, I can just go. I can, (laughs) everything. I can name it all Listy. Um, It would be crazy. But, like, the, uh, I've talked about this in the show. Mars makes absolutely no sense to me. I think no. it looks like a shithole. I don't want to go there. Mars is going to, Mars would be bad. It, the, the only good thing about Mars is that you can get there relatively quickly. Uh-huh. Like, what people, I think what people have to come to peace with is that, like, the colonizers are going to, like, die on the ship. Uh-huh. Like, it's going to be, have you heard of a generation ship? Do you know that sci-fi no. trope? No. It's a sci-fi trope where it's a ship that's traveling somewhere, and because it's in space, it takes so long to get there that there are, that, like, the people that leave Earth, are long dead by the time they hit the destination. And there are potentially multiple generations of people who live their entire life on the spaceship. And, like, not, like, people who are born and die there because of extreme circumstances, but, like, you know, live their entire, like, generations that exist only on this vessel. Because it's, yeah, so long. Who wants to, I had had someone in here, Meg Howery wants to do it. She's, like, ready to train and go to Mars. Oh yeah, I can't. I don't, like space. Seems like I throw up a lot. I'm very. I get motion sick very easily. You don't like roller coasters? Oh no, I love roller coasters. That's okay. different. Um, car sick. 
car sick. Air, you ever puked in an airplane? Oh yeah, you have. I, I mean, I spent my childhood puking in every airplane. Oh. I'm a very your good parents, puker. Your parents, my must parents. Love oh, my mother is a saint. My mother is a saint. My son puked all the way down my wife's back this morning. Oh. It's like she gave him a bottle. She put him on her shoulder and yeah. he just barfed all the way down her um, back. Imagine when he's, uh, you, you, hope you, hopefully you don't have motion sick kids. Because like imagine when he's eating like real solid people food oh, and he's God. puking like yeah. whatever he pukes. Yeah. Right. I'm a pretty good puker at this point. You are. Discreet. I'm just used to it. Quiet. So, <laughs> discreet. Quiet. I can, I can just like be nauseous, deal with my life, have a puke, go back to my life. Do that. I, yeah. I, I hate it, but I can handle it now. You can you be drunk, puke, go back to drinking at the party like nothing's happened? No, no. I mean, very rarely. I've done that a little bit, but you know, once I'm once I'm that wasted, I just want my bed, and just, I'll find it. Right. I'll find it. I'll find a bed. I'll find a bed that I make mine. Um. So when you look to the future, your career. I don't mean like in a grand, you know, grand right. way, but like, what are you doing in ten, ten years? What do you <sighs> hope to be doing in ten years? I mean, m- more of these. I'd like to be doing some more books i'd like to have some more books it would be really nice if i could find a way to not have to do anything else besides write um i have not thought of a way to do that yet i haven't figured it out well but But, i mean i feel like sometimes it can be a blessing sometimes too much time to write can be a problem yeah i mean so i hear and fill it with television (laughs) that's what people that's what people tell people say yeah you know what I don't know. Like, I'm in totally that idea, like, grass is greener state where I'm like, I could fill my days. I'd wake up. I'd go to the gym. I'd come home. I would write for hours. And then when I'm done, I would clean. And I would have a really clean apartment. And I would cook all of my meals instead of having no time to cook. And I would watch all the TV I want to watch and read all the articles and be caught up on Twitter and everything that I want. There's so much to consume. I, I always wish that I had more time to read, more time to watch TV. You like that stuff? Yeah. I could, I could you just, like the internet? I love the internet, yeah. You don't feel, find like it's a drain on your soul? I don't find it's a drain on my soul, no. I mm. find it, I'm, well, the other thing is, is remember, like years and years and years and years of social anxiety, it was, it's perfect for people that suffer social anxiety because you can turn it off if you're feeling freaked out. Um, and then when you're ready to go back to it, you can turn it back on again and no one's gotten angry at you for like walking away or you haven't squandered the possibility of a friendship because you spent like, you were like too scared for months to like leave your dorm room. Right. You know, to have you like, ever really been that scared? Party. Oh yeah. I mean like I was, I don't have a super lot of long-term like friends from college because I consider my college years like time that I was like, f- like really very frozen with social anxiety. What, what was it? Well, it seems like that would have peaked in high school, but like you get to college. Well, but in high school, I had these friends that oh, I had, had always. You had the core four? Or I had whatever. the core. Well, yeah, we were like five or six of us. Okay. We, we, we had this, um, we had this, um, I had this solid group that had kind of formed around me. I didn't have to put myself out there. And all of a sudden I went to school and it was like I had to make friends. And I, I made one of the best friends of my life in school and we're still very, very close. But I don't have this like, huge number of people that I still keep in touch with from college it's you know certainly like five or something like that of people and a couple of them are just because I know them on the internet and I can tweet with them or uh can g-chat with them um but it's like but college you would lock yourself in your dorm room if you it, it was more like I would just go to parties and not really talk to anybody or just talk to only my own friends um, or I would, I, you know, 
anytime I had a like a solid group, I wouldn't make these solid relationships that lasted. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. Like high school is the best time to form those things. College, yeah. college. I mean, it's just the older you get, the harder I think it gets. It does. Yeah. To like lock it in. It's hard. To, I, don't, I don't feel like I've lived in Los Angeles for 15 years. Mm-hmm. I have friends, but I don't see them very often. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not, it doesn't feel like super, it feels, it feels like, I mean, this is going to sound really hardcore, but it's like, if I die tomorrow, they'd probably be upset for a day and then on with it. I don't think that that's true. Maybe I'm, is that too I hardcore? Think, I think that's too hardcore, dude. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, it's, this feels like slippery. Like they could go right. away. If I moved away, they'd be like, oh, bye. You know, like, well, moving away is different than dying because they still would have access moving, to you. Dying is kind of, you could Dying is very... <laughs> Very, like, there's a big border between the living and the dead. I don't think, okay, I'm going to disagree with you before I let you All go. All right, no, no, it's, it's fine. I'm starting to, I'm, I'm fully flop sweating. Oh, yeah, no, I am, I am a puddle of sweat. My yeah. brain is completely off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think people appreciate what we've gone through to have this conversation. <laughs> I think, I think it's, I'm so glad we talked about, like, really difficult topics with, well, like, gender, <laughs> sexuality, identity, race, yeah. while, like, our brains are literally melting out yes, of our ears. Yes, yes. Um, but I don't think that death is the end. Uh, I don't think birth is the beginning. That's and great. And I think that uh, there's only continuation. Somehow we continue. And I think like to tie it into something you said about your time in Amsterdam and to your aversion to visual drugs, mm-hmm. psychedelics. Like I think there's something in the psychedelic experience and I think maybe it manifests visually where we get a feel for the fact that what we consider ourself is an illusion and that uh, reality as we conceive of it in our brains isn't, you know, is way more and maybe in some cases less than what we think. Mm-hmm. And it maybe starts to come apart. That's what's frightening. It's kind, it's a kind of death. Yeah. You know, that feeling of like, oh, myself is coming apart and oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, um, I'm disintegrating or I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I feel myself uh, particleizing. Right. Like I, I, you, you hear a lot of people when they talk about that experience uh, using uh, that kind of, you know, terminology, or at least I have, you know, something along yeah, those no. lines. And I think that, um, you know, we may not continue like in a way that's like super anthropomorphic or like everybody's in the clouds, like having a family reunion. You know, that seems pretty, right, that yeah. seems pretty cushy and convenient. Yeah. But I do think that there is some kind of continuation um, that maybe exceeds our ability to understand at this point. I just, I just want to yeah, throw no. that out there. Throw it out there. No, disagree. It's a, need, it's a beautiful thought. I want to, I need to write it down. I mean, I've, yeah. I've heard it explained to me in a way that makes perfect sense. Like matter cannot be, matter and energy cannot be created or destroyed. We are right. matter and energy. We will not be destroyed. We will not be destroyed. I guess my, my feeling is that that's probably true. But then this thing that is like, maybe this is, this is going back to that. Why I don't like that. Why I don't like visuals and hallucinations is I think of myself as this being this like thing and I, I don't always understand myself and I don't always understand the reality that I'm living in and maybe I feel contained by my body but the consciousness that is me does not survive the death so maybe maybe both of our things maybe we're saying the same thing but differently yeah you know what I mean like is the consciousness you though like is it like is that a false conception of identity of self very well could be but it's the one that I'm clinging (laughs) to like I give I give a I give a lot of latitude for me to be wrong but it is comforting as heck right now to to have an idea of like I am a self yeah I think a lot of us feel that one yeah I think I want to I'm trying to shed it but I you know 
How can, what can you do? What can you do? Still stuck in your same body it's for now. It's clinging to me. It's clinging yeah. to me. Uh, it's been such a pleasure. Yeah, it was thanks great. For, thanks for getting over here in the heat. No problem. Thanks for uh, having me. It's, a, it's, it's really great to meet you, and congratulations on the book, and I wish you well. Thank you so forward. much. Thanks. Okay, guys. Katie Disabato. What a delightful young woman. Her debut novel, The Ghost Network, is out there now from Melville House. You can find Katie online. She's got a Tumblr presence, katiedisabato.tumblr.com. She's also on Twitter, where her handle is at katiealert. That's Katie with a C, at katiealert on the Twitter. Did I say Tumblr? On Twitter, at katiealert on Twitter. Thanks to Kill Rockstars for the music. As always, be sure to check out killrockstars.com. Don't forget about the other people at Brand New Version. Very attractive, user-friendly, intuitive version of the Other People app available now free of charge wherever you get your apps. If you want to email me, let me know what you're thinking, tell me a story, weigh in on the show, offer criticism. Uh, the address is letters at otherppl.com. Letters at otherppl.com. You know, I don't, uh, I don't want to bag on happy people. That's what that's what you know, I get a little bit uh, conflicted about that. I'm, I think instinctively I feel uncomfortable around people who are happy at that kind of uh, at that level of intensity. And yet, if it's authentic, what a horrible thing to be uh, uncomfortable about! How dare these people be this happy? How dare that uh, creep me out? I guess I just don't trust it. I don't understand it. I can't access it neurochemically. And yet. Like I was saying, I wonder uh, if it is neurochemical. Maybe these people just have figured out a way to talk to themselves. I used to say that in uh, college. I need to figure out what to say to myself when I talk to myself. Maybe these people know exactly what to say to themselves to get themselves really excited. They figured out the language. What to say, what not to say. Trigger words. <laughs> Who knows? I think it's just chemical. Some weird thing. Can you train yourself to be like that? Should I do that? Please remember that Dostoevsky died of a lung hemorrhage. <laughs> Speaking of happiness, please remember that Dostoevsky died of a lung hemorrhage and that Botticelli spent his final years on crutches and on welfare. Hopefully that, uh, will send you off into your day or your evening on a positive note. Imagining Botticelli on welfare. Gimping around on crutches. Just days away from dying. Or Dostoevsky coughing up blood in Russia. If you're going to die of a lung hemorrhage, don't do it in Russia, right? Russia just seems like a bleak place to die. Nothing against Russia. I have a friend who's in Russia right now, actually. She was Instagramming about it, saying uh, how delightful it is. I think she was talking about shopping. Nothing against shopping. I'm not criticizing. I feel like I'm being a dick today, just criticizing people for being happy and enjoying Russia. Just trying to think of something to say. Just telling you what's on, you know, on my mind. It's coming across my screen. All of my interactions with people, on a screen. That's how I live. That's how we live today. Oh, hey, so good to be in touch on this screen. So good to uh, know you via your carefully curated Instagram photos, which present to the world an almost impossible to live up to image of leisure, 
success, and happiness. I think that's it for now. Uh, I really do appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate Katie uh, Disabedo for making her way over here in the middle of her workday to sit down and talk to me. And uh, thanks to Melville House. Go get the Ghost Network. Support a debut novelist. Maybe the most important people to support debut novelists. Then again, if you're uh, on your second book or your third book and sales have been shitty and this is your last chance, it could be more important to support you. It's like a publishing triage. Who do we save? Almost everybody's on life support. Clear. Clear.